Welcome to the Engage Church Duluth podcast, where together we are learning to love God and people better. You'll find links, notes, and insights that go along with this episode at the link in our podcast description and on our website at engagechurchduluth.com. We're so glad you're joining us today. Good morning, Engage Church. And I want to welcome you who are watching online. I am Steve Hoffman, and I will be with you for the next three weeks leading up to Easter. And I want to encourage you even today as Easter's coming, make sure to invite your friends with you to the Easter service. It's a great time to be able to invite people to church. And um, so take advantage of that. And on that day, we'll give them an opportunity to hear more about what we've just talked about today, what we'll be talking about the next three weeks. And that is, what does it mean to experience God uh, firsthand? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been uh, to Colorado. It's a beautiful place. And uh, I, uh, when I was uh, younger, actually the first time I think I ever went to Colorado, my brother uh, was marrying a gal from Fort Collins, and so we went out to the wedding. And uh, it was in the late 70s. I was probably about 15 years old. And uh, when we were there, we decided we wanted to go to the Royal Gorge and uh, see that beautiful sight that was there. Matter of fact, we'd heard about it, and going there, it was just absolutely amazing. The beautiful Arkansas River runs uh, through the park, and this was a unique park because it had this historic suspension bridge which spans the gorge uh, of the Arkansas River. Now, the bridge is 1,270 feet long, which is the equivalent of four football fields in length. And as I said, we visited this bridge with our family in the 70s, driving up to it to see it. I mean, it was just an awesome, incredible view. If, if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. It's big. It's God's creation. And when I looked at the bridge, I was awestruck, but I was also a little bit scared. The reason I was scared is because this bridge is suspended 956 feet above the river. Have any of you been on the bridge that, that crosses the Royal Gorge? It's an amazing sight, isn't it? Uh, for those of us who get nervous, and I think the picture is up here, um, just looking at that picture, if that, if that makes you a little queasy, you know, it's probably not a good idea for you to go there because that, that's a long ways down. Um, I was scared, but I was scared nothing like Ralph. Ralph was my sister-in-law's or sister-in-law-to-be's dad, and uh, he was taking us to see this. And I don't think he'd ever been before himself. And he did not reveal to the rest of us his fear of heights. But it became obvious that he was afraid. And this was in the days when you could drive across that bridge. Now you can only walk across it. Back then, you could drive across it. And I remember, because we were in a station wagon, there was about seven of us. And Ralph drove up to the edge where we were about to start. And he just stopped. And we could see he started sweating. Matter of fact, his palms started sweating so bad that the steering wheel was kind of dripping wet. And, uh, but he was there, and he couldn't turn around. And so he went forward. And I don't know what the speed limit was. I think it was supposed to be like five miles an hour or something like that. I'm sure he was going 20, 25. People were like running out of the way and getting on. And he got across the bridge. But I can guarantee you this you will never get him to willfully or intentionally cross that bridge again. Matter of fact, when we're driving across that bridge, he wanted to say something or someone asked him a question or whatever, 
and what was coming out of his mouth really wasn't all that intelligible, except at one point he said, yeah, you, you know your name. Who are you? What are you? He couldn't even remember the people's names that was in the car with him. He was so nervous when he was crossing that bridge. He had a significant and legitimate objection to crossing that bridge. Now, if you're a believer today, many of us in the past, we approached Christianity this way at one time in our lives. We were content with seeing it from afar. We were content maybe talking about it, but not committing, it, committing to it. We carried in our hearts and in our minds significant, uh, actually not only significant, but legitimate questions, objections, if you will, about Jesus, about the church, which the church's people. And we kind of walked up to the edge of this Jesus and faith thing. And there we had some kind of argument or we had some kind of belief or excuse as to why we would never willfully or intentionally, if you will, step over the edge of this religious canyon in front of us. But then something happened inside of us, similar to the story that we heard today, that something wasn't necessarily an answer to all of our questions, right? I mean, how many of you had all of your questions answered before you ever decided to put your faith in Jesus? If you're here today and you have faith in Christ, that something wasn't necessarily an answer to our questions or someone rationally or scientifically or even satisfactorily refuting all of my objections to Christianity. We walked the ledge, to the ledge of the canyon, so to speak, and something in our hearts actually allowed us to step over to the edge and into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, even though all of our objections and questions weren't answered at that time. There may be some of us today here, you have your toes on the edge of that. You're not sure you want to go any farther. You're not sure that you believe in this thing. And I wouldn't even know your motivation for being in church today. Maybe you're just authentically wanting to check out more of this Jesus stuff. There are some things that don't make sense that rub you the wrong way that just aren't fair or just. I'll be honest with you. I would love, I know the leadership of this church would have loved everyone who is not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, who's not yet stepped across that line of faith to say yes to Jesus at some point. We would even go so far as to say the sooner the better. But we recognize that when we do that, and a real believer is not someone who just says, I'm a Christian or who mentally believes in Jesus. We're talking about people who repent of their sin under God's grace and turn by faith to God and trust him with their life. Real believers who follow him, they reorder their life their finances, their marriage, their parenting, their business, all around Jesus. He's at the center of everything in our life, which is one of the reasons why some people object to actually stepping in to faith like that. But whatever your objection, whatever your pushback is, if you're not a Christian, there's a reason you aren't a Christian today. And whatever your reason is, I want to tell you, I'm sure it's a good reason I'm sure it's a legitimate reason. If we were talking and we could sit down maybe after today and have a cup of coffee with each other and I heard your reason about that, I wouldn't say to you, oh, that's stupid because it's legitimate. I had those very same questions at some point. Actually, even today as I'm walking in faith with Christ, I still have questions about this faith thing and about Jesus and the way things are happening in the world. We wrestle with and, and understand I would actually understand deeply where you're, where you're coming from. Here are some reasons, at least some of the most common ones, 
on why people don't step across that line of faith, what their objections are to this relationship with Jesus or this Christianity thing. This one I hear a lot. Matter of fact, I've been talking to a friend of mine. I have an office building in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, and uh, he offices next door to me, and we've become really good friends. And he has not yet stepped across the line of faith, even though we've talked about it many times. And his main objection is this. He would say to me, Steve, how can there be a good God? And if he really is God, why is there so much suffering in the world? I know God is good and God is great and all that stuff, but there are so many people starving. There are so many people without water. There are so many people living in poverty. There are so many people who've been abused and they don't deserve to be abused. Children who can't have any control over it. Bad things happen to them. How could a good God allow that to happen? That's his objection, his number one objection. As a matter of fact, his mother died of cancer, and he never has been able to figure out why God would have allowed such a good person to die of such a horrific, uh, a horrific death. And, and it's been an objection to him. Maybe your obstacle is you've known too many Christians. <laughs> and you're looking at them, and you go, man, who wants to be like that, right? I mean, have you seen them and the way they act and what they think? I don't want anything to do with that. Maybe your, obje your objection is uh, that, what about all the other religions of the world? You know, you Christians, you always think you're the only ones that are right. What about all of the other people and all the different religions or tr uh, traditions in the world? What about them? Why, why would you be right and they be wrong? Matter of fact, that would lead someone to say, well, man, Jesus says he's the only way. How can that be? Isn't that arrogant? Come on, how, how can he be the only way? It would be crazy for us to say, well, just get over that and become a Christian. Anyway, you have legitimate objections to this faith thing. Some would just say, hey, Christians are naive. I've had people tell me this. Do you just turn off your brain to become a Christian? Come on, what about all the scientific evidence that's out there? Man, you've got a job. You seem like a normal person, Steve. You're, you're a responsible American. How can you be so detached from reality? Do you really believe in miracles? You know, there's a miracle in the Bible about the sun standing still, and you believe that, you know, Jesus actually was raised from the dead. Nobody's been ever raised from the dead. Come on, you really believe that stuff? Put your mind in gear. And we could try to exhaustively answer everyone's questions and objections to Christianity. But you still wouldn't say, I give up. You've got all my questions answered. I'm going to become a Christian because all my questions are answered. So here's a couple of observations before we lead into the scripture. And we'll be in John chapter 1 this morning. The observation is this. Very few adults embrace Christianity after they've worked through all of their obstacles. In fact, most people I know, when they actually decide to put their faith in Christ, they don't have all of the questions answered yet. Another observation is that people who follow Jesus because something happens that diminishes the obstacles. The people who actually follow Jesus, it's not like all the obstacles are gone. They just decide, you know what, something has happened that has diminished those obstacles and something is bigger than that that, is ex that I've experienced firsthand in my life and I've decided to follow Jesus. They may still have questions, doubts, concerns and carry those into their newfound faith in Christ. And chances are there are other areas of your life where you have objections that shrink when you experience something firsthand, when it becomes personal. Now, how, how many of you are married? Would you just raise your hand if, if you're married? Okay, great. I'm married, and I'm happily married most of the time because 
I'm in the relationship. So you know what I mean? Not blaming that on my wife at all. Uh, that would be about me. I love my wife, and we are happily married. But do you remember the time before you were married? And I know everybody's journey is different. But some of you are single, and you would say, man, I'm happily single. I'll take my single problems over married problems any day. Why don't you get married? And people have a number of reasons. Matter of fact, for those of you who are married, maybe you can go back and think about the times when you were single. What were your objections to marriage if you had any? Here I know, here's some. Freedom, right? You didn't want to give up your freedom. I, I, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I'm, I'm enjoying the freedom that I have right now. Commitment. I, who wants to make a commitment? I don't want that. Or how about money? I can't afford the things I want. How on earth am I going to afford the things we want, you know? I don't want to enter into that. Other married people. You know what? I'd rather be lonely than stuck in what I see in that couple's life. Or I'm too young. Or what about the fact, you know what? What if I choose this person and then a little bit later I meet somebody else that I think is better? We have all of these objections when we're single to why we shouldn't get married. And I have a question for you. How many of you, when you got married, worked through all of your objections to marriage? You worked thoroughly through them. Here's the answer. None. None of us did. But we got married anyway. We didn't read a book about commitment and then just check that off the list. We didn't save and save and save and save until we had enough money. And then when we're 48, 50, 55 years old, you know, finally decide to get married because we could afford it now. None of us resolved all of those issues before we got married. So why? Why did, why, why did we get married? It's really, really simple. You know why? Because she came along or because he came along. And all of a sudden, in light of who they were, and love started to build inside of us, and because of who they were, all of those objections just shrunk in light of the person. It was about a person. It became personal. You experienced love. You fell in love firsthand. You knew a lot of unhappy people. And in spite of your fear of commitment... You made the decision anyway, and you stood in front of a, a pastor or a priest or a judge, and you committed vows, and you entered into that marriage. And those vows didn't mean that all of the obstacles went away. They just got smaller in the face of the relationship. Well, Jesus tells us a story. Actually, it's a story about Jesus and his experience with his disciples. And this is what it says in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him. This is in the beginning of all of that. And it says, the next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to Philip, hey, Philip, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael, and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, they had been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to show up. And now all of a sudden, Philip meets him, and he believes in him, and he decides to follow him. There was something that happened when Jesus said to Philip, follow me. And he said, yes, you're the one. I'm going to follow you. This is the one Moses talked about. We have found him. 
And he went up to Nathanael and he said, we found him, come and see. Now, Nathanael, who had not yet met Jesus, said, wait a minute, verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Nazareth was a hole-in-the-wall place, spoken of negatively. Nobody really thought of Nazareth as something positive. It was small. It was poor. You know, nothing really good had ever come out of Nazareth. And he's saying, come on, come on. This can't be the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. It'd be like someone coming to you, and maybe you had a loved one who had MS, and saying that they have a relative who's found the cure for MS. And you said, where? Rochester? The Mayo Clinic? Or, you know, how about the University of Minnesota in St. Paul? No, no, not there. Uh, East Duluth. Or Bacchus, Minnesota. Some place where there is no hospital, there's no clinic, there's no nothing. And it's like, come on, can somebody from there really find the cure to MS? Well, that's what it was like for Philip explaining to Nathaniel. Now saying, no way, the Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. It just doesn't happen. It was an objection to him. And so what did Philip do? In verse 46, the last part of it, he said, come and see. I can't even explain that or make a good argument of why the Messiah is from Nazareth. Just do me a favor, Nathaniel. Would you just come and see? But I have questions. That's fine. That's fine, Nathaniel. Just come and see. Bring your questions with you to him. Bring your objections with but just come and see. And verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, so Jesus is looking at, at uh, Nathaniel, and he says of him, here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, there's nothing false. He's without guile. Look at this guy. No deceit. He's an honest guy. And here comes a guy who isn't going to pretend. He's not going to pull any punches. He's not going to skirt around the issue. He's going to be honest with himself. He's going to be honest with others. And Nathaniel responds, wait a minute, verse 48. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. He approaches Jesus, skeptical, he's ready for debate, but then Jesus makes it personal. A minute ago, you were just intellectually curious, but you didn't believe. You know, you know I'm from Nazareth, and now, and now, Nathaniel says to Jesus, how, how on earth do you know me? Verse 48, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Look, Nathaniel, I know your personality. I know where you're from. I know your questions. I created you, and I love you, and I want a mutual, firsthand relationship with you. And something in that moment happened to Nathaniel. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was just all of a sudden, Nathaniel looked at Jesus with different eyes. He'd met him. It became personal. He had a firsthand encounter with Jesus. And it says in verse 49, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi. You are the Son of God. You are 
the king of Israel. This guy who has no deceit in him. <laughs> and he doesn't say, you know what, uh, Jesus, let's talk about this Nazareth thing first. You know, get, get that answered for me. How can you be from Nazareth and the Messiah? No, he has a personal encounter with Jesus. The objections shrink. He doesn't get the answer. Becomes personal and he chooses to follow Jesus Christ. He experienced firsthand and he becomes a follower of Jesus with his questions, with his objections, but he chooses to follow. It wasn't because he got all of the answers. It was because it became personal. His questions took a back seat to his experience. Now the Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And my tendency is, until I understand him with my mind, there's no way I can really enter into a relationship with him. But his invitation is this. Come and trust me. Learn of me. Learn to love me. And do this in relationship with me. Keep asking your questions. That's okay. You don't have to have all of them answered, but I still invite you to come into relationship with me anyway. You see, people decide to follow Jesus when questions are overcome by firsthand personal experience. And those of you who are following him today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had an experience where Jesus became very real to you and you entered into a relationship. Christianity is not about getting the objections taken care of. Christianity is all about being in a personal relationship. It's intensely personal. So let's be honest. Some of our excuses actually are emotional excuses, right? They're not even intellectual excuses. See, I know if I'm going to follow Jesus, that means there's going to be some changes taking place in my life. I'll probably have to make some lifestyle changes. My friend Paul that I was telling you about that works next to me in the office, that's another one of his issues. This is like, man, Steve, I know if I do that, there's things I'm going to have to stop doing. And I keep telling him, Paul, don't worry about that. Let Jesus lead you in that. Enter into the relationship. He'll take care of the rest from there. We push back because we know it means a change. But we're not sure we want to change. See, the real issue isn't did you die for my sins. The real issue is do I really want to make that kind of change in my life. Well, I want to tell you today, your Heavenly Father wants you to know Him more than He wants you to have all of your questions answered. And isn't that true of you? Think, think about the people in your life, right? Do you want them to know everything about you before they like you or do anything with you? Do you, want, do you want them to have all their questions about you answered? Or do you just hope that they kind of enter into relationship with you and then you kind of work through life together? That very desire in your heart is the thumbprint of God in your life. Because that's exactly how God is approaching you. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all your questions answered. You don't have to have every objection dealt with. Just come in relationship with me, and we'll work through all of that stuff together over time. See, Jesus sees you like Nathaniel as a person to know and to love. He sees you for who you are. He knows where you are, and he calls you by name. So if you have doubts, if you have questions, if you have obstacles, if you have pushbacks, I want you to know God still knows you. And even with all of that, as he's looking at you, 
He doesn't have any objection about entering into a relationship with you. He loves you, and he wants to know you. So if you're here today and, and you're not a believer, here's my challenge to you. And I invite you to come back over the next two weeks through Easter. Here's my challenge to you. Would you consider praying this prayer? Similar to the one the gentleman prayed in, in the video. Father, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to my questions. If you're real, would you just help me to know who you are rather than to get all of my questions answered? I still want answers, but I realize even if I got all of the answers to my questions, I still wouldn't know you. So if you're real, help me to know you. But it begins not with answered questions, but with a firsthand personal experience. And for those of you today who are believers and you're walking with Christ, it's a great journey. We're not saying it's always like, you know, <laughs> always top of the mountaintop kind of experience. But whether you're in the, in the top or we even sang a song about, appreciated the songs today, didn't you? And the heart with which this worship team sings them. It's just like even when we're going through the most difficult times of life, God is with us, and he gets us through them. If you're a believer today, you've experienced the joy, the abundance, the relationship of Jesus. I want you to know that people who are far from God matter to Jesus. That's why this church was started. That's why this church exists. Love every person in Duluth. Love every crack in the sidewalk. Love every blade of grass. Because God does. And because God loves people, we want to love people too. People who are far from God matter to Jesus. Jesus, matter of fact, when Jesus walked this earth, Jesus liked people, and people who were far from him liked him. It was the religious people that had the biggest problems with Jesus. So shouldn't we, if you're a believer... Shouldn't we as the body of Christ be the closest thing there is to encountering Jesus himself? So can you, over the next few weeks, and actually through the rest of your life, but be really focusing on, can you be like Philip in this story? And can you just say to your friends, you know, come and see. Come and see. You may have objections, let's talk about it, whatever. Would you come to engage church with me? Whatever it takes, just come and see. Few things are more powerful than witnessing change when, when you get to witness Jesus change someone else's life. And you've seen that happen here over and over again. I can't answer their questions. I'm not smart enough to debate or to convince anybody. That's okay. Philip, didn't, Philip did not answer Nathaniel's questions about Nazareth. He didn't. He just kept saying to Nathaniel, hey, man, just come and see. Just come and see. Come and see Jesus. So who are you inviting to experience Jesus firsthand? And if you're here today, I just, I, I encourage you, if you're not a believer, that you would pray that prayer and just ask God to make it personal to you and then see where that goes. I'd like you to stand with me if you would. Father, today, we are so grateful that you have become personal to us. Jesus, we're, we're grateful that it's not about getting all the answers right and 
all of the questions taken care of, about removing all of the obstacles. It's literally about experiencing you. And when we see in this story how you approached Nathaniel and how Philip just said, come and see, God, would you help us all to walk in that personal relationship with you? And if there are people here who have not yet stepped across that line of faith, maybe even today there's just a, an obstacle that will shrink a little bit. There's something that will happen that will diminish their questions, and they'll be able to say, you know what, Jesus, I invite you to become personal to me. Father, for those of us who are believers, would you help us to be authentic but bold and inviting and just say to the people in life who are far from you, come and see. We love you. We thank you. We bless you today. And we've God, I just want to pray for this church as they move forward and as they're looking for a new pastor and all that's yet to come, that you'll be with them, that you'll guide them, that you'll encourage them, that you'll direct them. And God, we know you're up to great things even in this time of transition. So we want to tell you today how much we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks again for listening to the Engaged Church Duluth podcast. If you enjoy learning with us and want to be notified when a new episode drops, subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and help us get the word out by rating us there. And then share us on social media with all of your friends. And don't forget, you can find more resources on our website and even watch the video version of this message. We can't wait to connect with you again next week.